Clay with the balls to the wall politicking of this episode of Deadwood. It got me wondering, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of the Midwest, but would you rather live in the states of North Dakota? I think it's North Dakota or Montana if you had your druthers. Well, whichever one's willing to pay me more money because fuck those motherfuckers if they don't. Do I fit in on the show? Is that how it works? <laughs> no, I, um, you know, I've never been to that area. No, I haven't, uh, I haven't either. I've I've always wanted to. Uh, there's a there's a chance I might be getting to to North Dakota later this year. Um, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, uh, to meet the Highlander. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, if if that does happen, I feel like I feel like I have to say, like, man, isn't it crazy? South Dakota, North North Dakota, feels like in the end there should be only one. Yeah. That's- <laughs> <laughs> and then just moon my moonwalk my way out of the room when everybody groans. They would applaud. They would say that's that's beautiful. He had he had balls of steel to come to come to this area of the country and say these things. I haven't been to either. Although Idaho was like a uh, a pandemic boon. Like a lot of people moved to Idaho, which is not either <laughs> yeah. one of the things that I mentioned, but it is out there. So. Yeah, I, I feel like that was the the run the thing for a while was people were just like I'm going to move to the remote parts of the country as though that was going to actually fix anything. Yeah. Some, some beautiful parts of Idaho, I suppose. I mean, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of untreated country. I, out there. I have also wanted to go to Mount Rushmore, which I think is South Dakota. Mm, I think so, but I'm not certain. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll make it over there someday. I don't know. It seems like there's at least three things to do out there. So that's fun. It is in South Dakota. It's in Keystone, South Dakota. Uh, oh, yeah, because George Washington wears the pipeline like a necktie, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> it's strangling us and our forefathers just with its, uh, with its hearse-like tendrils around uh, the, poor, the poor president's neck. Do you think Mount Rushmore is bigger or smaller than you would expect it to be? I have been told it is smaller. Okay. Um <clears throat> I, I've been told it's one of those things that you get there and you go, oh, yeah, okay. Because yeah, yeah. they, they, all the pictures, the pictures make it look gigantic, obviously. Right. Some trees in the I, foreground and you're just yeah. looking up. It's cleverly framed. Yeah. I was in um, Los Angeles this past week and we went to the Academy Museum, uh, Academy Motion Pictures Museum. Yep. And they have a, a, a rotating exhibit where they um, put up a backdrop a famous backdrop from from movie history and we happened to be there when they had up the mount rushmore backdrop from alfred hitchcock's north by northwest oh nice and so honestly probably just as good all things considered (laughs) that it seemed it seemed very impressive so it probably looks more impressive seeing the backdrop than it does actually going there and seeing the real thing yeah and also you don't have to worry about you know the murkiness of the land rights. <laughs> Just put it on, if you're looking it, at a painting. Put it on IMAX, and you've basically experienced the best that you can see. Um, there's there some article. Some uh, Tom Cruise and Chris Nolan were fighting about IMAX. That was something I read in the news today too, which I thought was interesting. But anyway, mm-hmm. here we are to talk about Deadwood advances non miraculous. We will break down the episode right after we play the music, which is right now. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. 
Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This is episode 10 of the second season of Deadwood. It's called Advances and Unmiraculous, directed by David Minahan, written by Sarah Hess, or Sarah Hess, maybe it's one of those. In this episode called Advances and Unmiraculous, Bullock carries his stepson's limp body to the docks. Only violence was... Meant, uh, the only violence we meant was to that stallion's prick, Hostetler says. Arriving at the gem, Star is disturbed to see Trixie at home in her old environs. Miss Isrenhausen signs her confession and leaves town. Doc Cochran informs Bullock that William's brain has been injured in the accident. Drinking at the number 10, Steve blames, Steve blames Hostetler and the nigger general for William's injury. Trixie visits Alma and bluntly asks the widow about Ellsworth's proposal of marriage. A stunned Martha Bullock laments leaving Michigan as she comprehends her son's condition. There's no better about it, is there? She asks the doc. Adams pretends to be hostile to Jerry, the emissary from Yankton. The nigger general and Hostetler discuss heading to Oregon. Bullock and Martha keep a vigil together by William's side. So here it is. It's the second part of what we talked about before, mostly because it all takes place in the same day, just like a lie, uh, mm-hmm. a lie on the first. Why can't I ever remember the episode? But the first and second episode of the second season. Lie agreed upon. A lie agreed upon. Thank you. It's like all over the, uh, like the, not the merch. It's all over like the <laughs> podcast website that uh, I kept oh, saying. Sweet that. Deadwood season two merch. <laughs> Well, this is it. It's the um, conclusion of a lot of storylines, and I guess I'll start off by saying I like this one a, a lot more than the previous episode. Um, I think that this one, this one strikes like a really fascinating balance to me between the comedy of everything and the tragedy of everything. Mm. Um, it really smashes everything together. But I thought that it was a, a good place to start with. It was the one from uh, the review from the Deadwood Bible, which is. Uh, Mazel or Seitz's reviews, which is he says for for one of the talkiest shows on television, the last ten minutes of this episode have almost nothing to say about uh, the death of William Bullock, which is kind of an interesting thing. Everyone does kind of shut up, and they they show you the uh, the how the, everything is being impacted in the town. But what did you think of this one? Advances non miraculous. Right, poor boy. What do you want? The sheriff's tragic preoccupation is also inopportune. Commissioner Jerry returns to Deadwood. How do you know? Believing that Blasanoff had uh, borrowed my acacia gum and Blasanoff was no longer present, as I canvassed his desk for the missing gum, I came across the information by accident. Telegram from Jerry? From Crook City. To whose attention? To the separate attentions of Messrs. Wolcott and Tolliver. Ironic, Al, isn't it, that having turned my newspaper to partisan purpose in the name of the camp's welfare, within the day, in the name of that good, I progress to betraying without regret the sanctity of private communications. Oh, well. We come to know the truth of our actions only in the protractions of time. When's the cocksucker arrive? Next coach, as my sister said. I liked it. <clears throat> I found it to be one of the more dense as far as following plots because uh, there's there's just a lot of talking about a lot of stuff yep. going on. Um, I spent the whole issue the issue the whole episode trying to figure out who Hawkeye was. Okay. Yep. Uh, I I assume that is that someone we've seen before. Yeah, it's uh, Adams's buddy who came in when he arrived and Dan Doherty beat the shit out of him. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So we haven't seen him in a month and a half. So. He, he he was in the bar. He was in the last bar scene with Tom Nuttall's bicycle ride. He he was in that scene. It was the last time we've seen him. Oh, okay. All right. Well, he's around. Um, he just he hasn't yeah. I wouldn't done know. Anything. I wouldn't know him by name. Yep. yep. Um. And I, if this is the end of Isrenhausen, I I don't feel like I've changed my opinion on her storyline from when it started I, it kind of didn't really do anything for me um and it feels kind of like it ended with a bit of a whimper and never really did anything too interesting yep um i i liked the i liked the juxtaposition of william being critically injured and Moe's being critically injured yeah but i don't know if they did enough with it really like i don't know i don't know i don't know if they really need to put too fine a point on anything but i did like the 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 juxtaposition of those two things happening at the same time um i i liked seeing how the whole town kind of shuts down um with william's accident uh to well when i say the whole town i mean all the characters that we know shut yeah. down <laughs> um and i i i also i thought that one of the more interesting uh reactions was that walcott seems genuinely concerned but tolliver doesn't give a shit yep which uh which was fun um yeah and and the scene the uh, the scene with uh bosch and uh, Ned Ryerson and Al was one where I was like, "All right, I think I understand what's going on here, but there's a lot of stuff flying around here." <laughs> I, I I was I was definitely on board with Bosch at the end, where he's like, "Okay, what just happened?" <laughs> um, he, he prepared I, them for elections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I get, yeah, and I, I I get that Al is 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 running a game on Jerry, and and uh, it's unclear whether or not, well. Al thinks he's got them, but based on the scene after that, it's unclear whether or not Jerry is is all in, or if if he's if he is just a suspect of Al as as anybody should be. Yeah. Um. I I think my favorite character in the show this season is the guy at um. What's the other bar? Uh, number ten. Bowler, number ten. The guy at the number ten who just drops in to to give wisdom. Yeah, t- Ted, like, Ted Mann's character, the guy who's yeah. always smoking a cigar. Yeah, yeah. I always, uh, I, for for whatever reason, I really like that character because it's it's such a strange character who no one ever like addresses. It's no, he, like he's not he, even there. He did, no one responds to him. He just talks. <laughs> he just talks to people. My favorite is he's he he he's clearly making the choice to play things like he's a he's almost like a um omniscient character in a Shakespeare play or something yeah. like he he has a line in this one where he says Tom enters or something like that like he reads the stage direction that, about what's supposed to happen he's a really interesting choice to have and I don't know I don't know what the impetus behind having him there was but he just like he you know Ted Mann is clearly not the best actor so everything seems a little bit stiff with him and stuff like that but he has a really funny strange way of talking about he like he sort of talks in a Deadwood way that almost feels like it's too Deadwood even for that bar with how he talks to people. And he, 
Yeah. He has strange things like, let's all go in on a satin comforter <laughs> from yeah. Martha Bullock. It's just these weird lines that he has that are very He's, funny. He he reminds me of the guy in Blazing Saddles who uh, who says, you know, Nietzsche says, out of chaos comes order. And then the other guy goes, oh, blow it out your ass, yeah, Howard. Yeah. Like, I, I, I keep waiting for someone to tell this guy to blow it out his ass. <laughs> But yeah, I, I find him very fascinating because it's it it is almost like he's he's a purely observational character who who it's like he's if if at the end of the if at the end of the series they like cut back to him and he just goes well I guess my work here is done and then these big angel wings come yeah. out of his back and he flies like I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out he's a ghost or something yeah he's um he he's kind of a, a strange funny. Uh, character not to go back but i had to look it up this is miss isrenhausen's last appearance on the show it is okay yep. yeah i i don't know what to think about her her plot honestly because I, I i don't really think they ever really did much with it um yeah. got super confusing and, yeah and knowing knowing how kind of convoluted the creation of the show can be it really feels that way with this where it feels like it, it started out as a good idea but they could never really quite had the time or, or the interest to do anything with it and it got really wordy and i don't know it, i just it, it uh, this is the first i her as of right now her plot feels like a waste of time to yeah me. sure how do you lay claim to a passable mind while ignoring if i'd wanted to do you in my inviting the sheriff up here to witness by not putting it beyond your own mind's quality mr swearingen to have enacted the incident in the thoroughfare, which then drew the sheriff away. Have you come to murder me, Silas? I wouldn't turn down the chance. It, it does feel like they, they, they started out with an idea and they wanted to go somewhere with it, but it never really... Uh, took hold in a way that felt like it was yeah. meaningful to the show, and it, it does. It does eventually just turns into a lot of conversations between her and Al, and a lot of like backstabbing and sort of second guessing each other and trying to one up each other to get, come out on top. That, in the way that we talked about in the previous episode of the podcast, is just like th there are no stakes outside of that room that we're aware of between right, those two. Yeah. So it ends up feeling a little bit hollow. I actually like. I like the way that it ended. I think that the um, the scenes with her are really good. I, I, I like the this episode has a lot of like little moments in it that I really like. I, I like her last ditch attempt to sign her letter in her offhand as a way to like yes warn yeah. the Pinkertons that this is not what she was up to, and then Al catches that and stuff like and uh, things like that. So but, I, I thought that was funny because I was like, wait, did he have two copies or does she just scribble it out? Oh. and write the correct way. Like either way, that's going to look suspicious. Let, let me get you a fresh copy, and then it, it just yeah. smash cut to two hours later, and Al is returned with a fresh fresh uh, print. I So I, I, I would agree that it mostly feels like kind of a waste of time. Um, she served her purpose, which in the largest sense is just to function as a, uh, a reminder that Al wants to keep Alma in the camp to do battle with Hearst. He needs Alma to be around, mm -hmm. so he he ultimately needs to defeat Miss Isrenhausen because he can't allow her to take Alma away from the camp. Sure. Um, and he accomplishes that. It just feels like it took about seven episodes to accomplish something that, like honestly, killing her 
would have accomplished. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what's interesting um, <clears throat> because it, it is kind of a contrast to the way Al would handle something in the first season, where there's I think first season Al, there's no reason why he wouldn't just kill her. Yeah, yeah, and it's I, I guess it's to assume that we just can't draw more attention to the camp. He's not willing to do that, although she's she's so isolated that like her. Her falling off a cliff or getting run over by a horse on her way back almost feels just more likely than Brahms' accident, you know, where right. no one really yeah. – it's just she was traveling by herself. She got shot by an arrow or something like that. Yeah, I think, you know, I think generally what's missing for me with this Pinkerton and Yankton stuff is – well, I guess the Pinkerton stuff is separate from the Yankton stuff, right? The Pinkerton is, stuff yeah. is – yeah, okay. I, I the thing that's missing from that Pinkerton storyline is I don't ever feel like Al is under any pressure. Yeah. You know? And I think that would have gone a long way to making that stuff more relatable. Um because when you listen to them talk it out and they explain what, what, what the stakes are and stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, fine, yeah, I, I get I get this. Yep. But it's it just doesn't have any it doesn't have any um it doesn't really have any solid uh, meat for you to, ch- to to bite into to see why this is such a big deal. Yep. Especially like they spend like five episodes on it and then he's like, I paid her $5,000 and she went away. It's like, okay, yes. well, yeah. who, who cares then? Why are we even talking about this? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, agreed. At least, at least with the Yankton stuff, <clears throat> I think that's dangerously close to the same problem. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, having Jerry there, I think is a good foil even though i'm not t- it's it's weird because you've got jerry and you've got walcott and you've got tolliver who are all kind of working for the same team for the most part yep and the the scenes with jerry give you a little bit more um spatial awareness if you will about what's going on but it still doesn't totally i, I still don't fully feel the pressure of the situation you know that the walcott stuff i think works well because you can see him um eating up all the other claims and stuff and and you can kind of feel the walls closing in that way but even there he's kind of they've dialed him down off the board ever since the the murder thing he's just kind of hanging around now yep um so i think that's the tricky thing as as they're getting into this more uh territorial stuff where it's it's um it's dangerously close to you know the problem with like in comics or even in movies or in like the superhero movies when they go cosmic yep is things the the stakes get so big that unless you have something to ground them it it you have no understanding of why you should care about any of it you know right. yeah it's like oh the, the universe is going to explode okay i don't even really know what that means you know yeah and i and i feel like it's dangerously close to that where it's not well, there's not a there's not like a, a a solid uh hook to to really show you what the stakes are in, in regarding the yanked and stuff I like Yankton a little bit more. Well, I like it much more than the Pinkerton storyline. Um, I do too, definitely. I, I, the Yankton thing at least ties into something that's 
been going on and is like, you know, it ultimately just sum, kind of sort of uh, sums up the Hearst experience, which is that they're getting into the politics of the situation. Um, it, it suffers definitely from it's all largely just conversations between people. And yeah. it, it's difficult to, you know, even, even down to small things, like when they start talking about different cities and I'm like, oh man, is that city in Dakota or is that a Montana city? <laughs> right, yeah. and, and it's like, you start having to think about your geography. It, it kind of suffers there. I think it does a good enough job of, being the basis of a plot that drags a lot of things into it and causes you to have like character interactions and character changes and things like mm-hmm. this is a very good uh, Saul episode because he's yeah. for the first time in giving something to do and even though it doesn't go particularly well it does change his perspective and his ability to change things in the camp and it's only because there's this political mismatch between uh, Montana and Dakotas and stuff like that. So my basic summary from what I understand is going on is that Al is just trying to act as like a disinformation machine at this point. And so it started with Merrick printing his lies in the paper about the other's interest in the camp of Deadwood. And they're trying to make Hearst think that there is something else going on and that he has more competition mm-hmm. and that he might lose his claims in Deadwood to other states that are going to come in. Right. So right. what they're now trying to do is that after they've spread the lies in the paper and Jari has come out to deal with it, they're going to start uh, spinning these lies about like, you know, Montana's contacted us and they're trying to get in. They're trying to bribe us to to go with them. So what are you going to give us? What is Hearst going to give up in order to prevent that from happening and trying to like seize the power back from uh, the Hearst side and the Walcott side and everything? Names and places star as instructed. Leaving it to us as to their deployment. Butte's got Montana's gold. Being territorial seat, Helena might well romance us for balance against Butte. Clark and Daly are the two strongest men in the territory. Both from Butte? Both from gold exclusive? Clark started in mercantile, but he's strong in gold now. Any chance they might combine? Ha, they fucking hate each other. Who's a later arrival? Daly from Salt Lake with Comstock money behind him. Back with Comstock money, you'd consider his connection to Hearst? Why do we know of Clark's ways? Clark or Daly? Clark, Star, we can't chance Daly. I don't know Clark's ways or Daly's either. I'm not from fucking Butte, remember? I wonder if Clark's ever been to Helena. Yeah, he's been to Helena. I fucking ate with him once, all right? Don't tell me you might recall what type appetite he exhibited or his preference as to food. Don't tell me we might be fucking getting somewhere. I think what makes this episode interesting and what I really enjoy about it is that the the title is called Advances Not Miraculous, which comes from a, a line that Al has with Trixie. Uh, later on at the very end of the episode where he said he basically just says the same thing like the day saw many advances but none were miraculous Mm -hmm. what i like about this episode is that basically every story is the plot has advanced slightly but nothing really consequential or or good has come from it so william bullock got sick and is getting worse um things are changing in that regard most manual got sick and is being worked on uh, 
I mean, that is a good euphemism for getting shot in the face. <laughs> it took a, a bullet to the heart, a bullet to his, a bullet to a bullet to his adipose tissue. Uh, Al and Silas have tried to spin this yarn that Jerry is not quite buying into at this point. Mm-hmm. So they've delayed it, but they haven't fully convinced him of anything. I just really like how every plotline in this story is a sense of like things are changing and things are getting different, but there's no really great outcome in any of the storylines. Like everything has this kind of modulated, it kind of went okay, it kind of didn't okay. Like spoilers, not really spoilers because they it's impl- it's known through this one, but like William dies in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mose Manuel survives, right? So there's this oh, like... Yeah. There's this trade-off of the young innocent is killed while the person who does not really deserve to survive has survived. So they're like, none of this is miraculous. None of this is good. None of this shows any kind of divine influence. It, it ties into just the, the Yankton plot is the same. It's like they've delayed things slightly. They got rid of Isernhausen, but they haven't convinced Jerry and they haven't really secured anything for themselves because now it has to go to elections at this point and they don't have mm. that in the bag. So it, it's... I. I that's what I like about the story most of all is that it's just it it moves things along, but it's it's this really like unsettled, uh, sort of unsatisfying result that everything yeah. finds itself in. That's the word I was just thinking of was unsatisfying, and I don't mean that in a negative way. <clears throat> it's just it it has that sort of realistic feel to it, with where with all these things going on, there's not a. They don't. They don't move the way like a traditional plot would move with big kind of uh, sweeping changes or or you know semi miraculous endings to things. <clears throat> they just sort of move, and everybody just kind of goes, "All right, yeah." You know, and that's that's kind of the the the, the status quo at the moment, <clears throat> which is a which is a you, which is a really unique unique way to do this. And I, I'm. I'm wondering if how this episode might go might have gone over at the time when it was on because I do think the thing that's most interesting to me about this show is that I don't find this is written for for television audiences really Mm -hmm. you know this is the this is the kind of show where you have to be like ready to watch it like you have to be ready to watch the show and go along with it in a way that most television doesn't require yeah um, and so when you get an episode like this, I could see if this was airing, they don't make it easy I, if, for you at all. It's no. not. Yeah. No. If this was airing today, I bet the internet response to this episode would be like, well, that was a big filler episode. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that's what it is. Cause it's not, cause it is moving stuff along, uh, in, in a very specific kind of way. And there is a very specific point that they're making about the, movement of 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 life and whatnot um and the way luck and and fate can kind of uh land in ways that might not be ideal for most people yeah um yeah but i i could see i feel the show oh sorry god no i was just saying i could see this episode not being beloved by a modern audience you know yeah i because i i agree with you i also um the series as a whole is kind of that way to me. It is. It, it, it is. Yeah. It, it doesn't like it's it's relatively rare that there's a big event that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is like it's this very strange blend of super hyper stylized stuff with an incredibly 
realistic spine to how things proceed from it. Yeah. So it's people talking in this incredibly strange and stylized dialogue. But ultimately, you have an episode like this where, you know, some things are good, some things are bad, and it all just kind of washes yeah. out by the end of it. And I, I think the whole series encapsulates that. And I think I think that's one of the reasons that I really enjoy it is because it, as we mentioned many, many times before, it, like it, the episode itself captures this really like funny moments and it also captures this horrible tragedy. And I think it does both of them very well. And mm. it balances out like the, just the response of the, the town to everything. I think it, like I, you know, the, the, the Williams storyline is funny. Like the, for whatever reason, Dan, Dan Doherty at the start of this running around trying to get people to go see Al is very funny to me. Like when he, yeah. when he tells Saul, he'll, he'll pick him up and carry him like a turtle with his legs wiggling in the air. <laughs> I think that's very funny. But then it's also, it all ends with the, the entire town just sort of solemnly waiting to hear news about what happens with William at the end of it. Yeah. But it's the same storyline. It's Saul doesn't want to go because he wants to sit with his friend's child who's been taken ill, basically, for lack of a better term. But it, it just has this... um very funny, funny thing. Dan, Dan, like throttling EB and EB being offended that he's not like involved in, in the in the plotting at this point, and, and mm-hmm. Dan grabbing him and like pulling him over the desk is is funny. I, I don't know. It just it it has uh, it captures all all the ideas, even down to yeah. Swearingen. Uh, when Silas asks, he wonders how the sheriff's boy is doing, and Al says something like, "It's not any of my business," and he doesn't say anything. But it also ends with him. Uh, telling Trixie that maybe, you know, uh, the gimp, as he calls her, would like some company as she waits, which is his way of uh, allowing Trixie to go and and spend and stand vigil at uh, at William's bedside. Yeah. You know, it's it's um, I, I I'm sure maybe we'll talk about uh, did we do like a season wrap up after season one? I can't we did remember. not. No, it's we hard. Not. It's hard to I think it's hard to uh, to remember for the show. Yeah. Well, I was going to say uh, maybe we'll talk about this more at the at the end of the season. But it's really interesting to, to look back for me to look back on season one compared to this season, because season one is just like stuff happening constantly. You've got wild Bill doing shit. You've got like uh people from Norway getting killed on the street and trying <laughs> yeah. to kill a child. Kristen and Bell coming in and plotting. Kristen to Bell hold shows up, up yeah. and Brom gets tossed over the ledge <laughs> and they're trying to cover his murder up. You've got Indian scalpings and yeah. all this kind of crazy shit. And then this season has been mostly just like drawing room conversations. Yeah. Politicking. And yeah, politicking. And it's it's uh it's an interest. It's a strange shift, and I'm not saying that I, I think it's a bad shift. It's just uh, I, I it feels a little bit. It feels both unexpected and also fully expected. Yep. Given the way that all of these characters come together, because I mean, you know, thematically it matches. It's the development of civilization too, right? Like right. They've, yes. They've, yeah. they've moved on from the wild west to a political. How do we carve this up for ourselves now? Sure. And, you know, one of the things that I actually appreciate about that is I, uh, years ago I was, I was doing some, some comic work for, uh, that was going to be for a Sons of Anarchy comic. Yep. And while I was, while I was working on it, I was watching the show because I never watched the show before. Mm. And the first season of that show is 
unbelievable, and I mean that in the literal term of the, of the phrase unbelievable. <laughs> wow, did you watch after the first season? If that's how you're going to describe the first season of that I show. did, because season two is preposterous. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it's like, and it's like the, the those types of shows, those like FX shows, start at 11, and then they have to just keep going up. So yeah, it sure. just gets more and more insane. And like this is, you know, it's a show about... It's a it's a show that purports to be about like well they're a biker gang but they're a family and it's like by the yeah. end of the second season they've killed like forty people <laughs> and it's it's yeah. like that kind of thing heat you level know, it, heat level gunfights in the streets and it's like there's yeah, no ramifications yeah pretty much and so uh, you know I find that to be exhausting and with this show they do it the complete other way where it's it's they like you're saying that you they are kind of mapping the 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 change in and the evolution of of civilization where it, it can't it just can't be gunfights in the street constantly because otherwise this place is just going to burn to the ground yeah which which and maps I, onto al right like al as we were right. saying is much more of a murderous he will kill people in the first season because there is less of a structure around him that constricts his behavior now that things are moving and there's much more of a like a political blowback aspect to this with hearst coming in with big money uh, yeah. The politics of Yankton being there, he's much more under the microscope, I guess you would say. Which is that, like, there's this there's the structure around him that is just preventing him from killing someone like Isrenhausen. He has to figure out other ways to deal with it that are nefarious, but not going to cause like a mafia esque like blowback on him because that yeah. would just not be good for him, obviously. Yeah, and it's I find it. Um I find myself, you know, as as much as I, uh, we we talked about how some of the dialogue in in with this Yankton stuff can be a little bit dense and and hard to to dip into. That's not to say that the other stuff isn't very emotional because it is, and I find like in this episode specifically, I find myself at the same level of anticipation uh, as I was wondering what was going to happen to Jack McCall or whatever, mm -hmm. as I am whether or not. Alma is going to accept Ellsworth's marriage proposal. <laughs> you know, like that, like I, I think because like the characters are so good that when they do dip into the character stuff, I think it's, it is, it is really, really strong. Like I think Alma in the season has been really, really good. Yeah. She hasn't really done anything. No, but she's an internal just, nuance, like an internal mix right. of motivations. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her, her internal character work and and the way that she she uh what's her name molly parker is that yes her name? yep the way molly parker plays it is just so engaging that uh it's it, it really does do a lot of dramatic heavy lifting um in a way that's that's very it's very engaging yeah and just as a reminder for people this is in this episode the the reason you brought up the ellsworth proposal is because trixie confronts alma in this one about like you have to make a decision um because Ellsworth has has give you given you his and, proposal, and you know I I think that scene with the two of them was really great too, because like you know when uh, <laughs> when when uh, shit kicking minor Ellsworth propo proposes to the rich uh, prim and proper lady, and she's like ah I don't know about that like you 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 immediately think oh well yeah obviously why why would she want to marry right. this guy he's he's not. It's not like a marriage of... of he's it's, marrying it's, down, yeah. Yeah, she's marrying down. It would be completely 
for appearances, blah, blah, blah. And so to have her actually say that, like, that's not even the thing that she's worried about. It's the fact that she has already been in a marriage that was one that was without love and she doesn't want to do that again. That's so much more interesting. Does William Bullock continue unchanged? As to Ellsworth's proposal of marriage, which way do you incline? Do you take us in from on high then, Trixie, and are you privy to all our secrets? Which way? The prospect of Ellsworth in the role of father delights me. If it's fucking him gives you pause, he'd never make you. What gives me pause, having had the experience, is the prospect of marriage without love. Yeah, but when it came to cases, you took that fucking leap. Ellsworth waits on your answer. Whatever you await before giving it. Yeah, she's an expert at uh, marriage as a business arrangement, and her her true and her true love, obviously, at least if you want to use love in quotations, is Bullock. And as Trixie reminds her, see how well that went for you. So, yeah, Ellsworth just needs to walk over to the gym, beat the shit out of out of uh, Al, <laughs> and then be like, "I am am I man enough for you now?" <laughs> You go go uh just take on take on her schoons just go clear house over there at the, I, uh, the mines I will say though I know you said he does show up at the in the last episode I think but yeah. I think Hurst really does need to to get here mm-hmm. because I think that's some of this stuff feels a little bit like even even if the stuff they're talking about is kind of is moving things along it does feel like like it it just needs that next gear yeah for this story to really start working there's only two episodes left in the season so yeah. it, it, it is coming uh but i would i would agree with like i i think it's mostly because walcott has kind of run his utility at this point like you've, you've seen what he does um and he's accomplished right. his goal for the most part i wouldn't say he's been relegated but he um he, he is sort of he, he's now just kind of waiting for hearst and he's dealing with yankton um and things like that i to to bring it back into the the show being a development of the the political is coming out of the sort of wilderness of the first season um you get a sense of i think milch's sensibilities too around it which is just that like a the the structures that we create it's it's a very like wire thing it's like the structures that we create match up with this episode in that they are advances none miraculous. Like they're, they're, the things that create the town and the sense of community also bring along the poisonous aspects of it, which in this mm-hmm. is represented by like the politics and the sort of like underhanded bribery and, and the nepotism and things that go along with it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I li- like, you know, Walcott has one of his famous lines in this one, which is that I'm a sinner who does not expect forgiveness, but I am not a government official, yes. which is like even Walcott is perturbed by jerry when jerry comes in and he's like i need to talk to sheriff bullock and is like his kid is in the hospital they're like do you think he'll talk to me still yeah, <laughs> like, so yeah. It's, it's this jerry is clearly just a like bureaucrat bureaucrat like autistic through through. in the sense of yeah. like he just does not recognize what's going on and only considers his own self-interest even to the point where a sociopath or a psychopath like walcott is like i don't know what's wrong with this guy but you know something's gone wrong Commissioner. Where will I find Sheriff Bullock? This boy had an accident. He's with him at the docks. Where is the docks? Oh, don't be a fool. 
Yankton's interests force imposition on Bullock's privacy, as I think, Mr. Walcott, do your employers. You get a pistol whipping and not learn a fucking thing. These injuries mortal to earn such commendable deference. Mortal's how I'd be betting. Of course, that casts a different light. Very sad for the sheriff and his son. Can that paper man be made sensible? The article's a plant from Swearingen, if that's what you'd want to ask, Merrick. That's the beginning of what I want to ask. Don't take much, does it, Commissioner, to get your balls tucked up? They are very sensitive to changes in weather. You feel one coming on? I am a sinner who does not expect forgiveness. But I am not a government official. I, I do, do you think there's too many characters in the show? Um, well, there are a lot. I, yeah. The reason I ask is because, I, it, I mean, again, we've, we've talked about this before and how it, it is more realistic uh, to just, you know, living one's life or whatever. But it does feel like they've got these characters that start off really hot plot-wise and then they just sort of fizzle for a while yep. until they, you know, like Walcott. I feel like traditionally... After Walcott kills the the prostitutes, like there's there's generally some sort of that's like the climax of his story for the season, and then there needs to be some sort of reckoning afterwards and and whatnot, and then you know, and it feels like they kind of like got to that point, had that one bit where with him and Joni, and then since then he's just sort of been hanging around. Yeah, and. I, I do I wonder if that is solely because there's so many other things to do in the show. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I, I honestly kind of wish you hadn't told me about the way that they wrote the show because I can see it everywhere now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I um I guess I would I would say about Walcott that I really liked his past couple episodes dealing with Moe's manual. Like I, I thought that yeah. he's really effective yeah, like as those. as a snake whisperer type character. Yeah. Um, he's good there. This one, and maybe the last one, he hasn't had quite as much to do. Was the last one where Moe's got shot? It was, right? Yes, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so he he hasn't had quite as much to do since then. Um, he seems a little bit more resigned, and uh, he's less emotional and more uh, Machiavellian, I think, now. Mm-hmm. I think that he's... Yeah, I I would read it, I guess, as he's kind of shut down after his embarrassments that have been happening, and he's now no longer really feeding into his internal desires anymore. He's much more just like about doing the job that he was sent out there to do. Right, yeah. So I think that that lines up with him. He does definitely feel more demure since since that uh, that final scene with Joni. Yeah, I I think he's just been shell-shocked back into his place, kind of, and uh, he's... He's he's sort of buttoned himself up again, and he's not he's not uh, living with his desires and his wants and everything. He's he's gone back to his thing about he doesn't want people to know him, so he's sort of uh, mm. stiff upper lip at this point. Yeah, I do I do start wondering though now if uh, if in like three episodes uh, Martha is just going to be literally say, well, I guess there's nothing left for me to do here. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll leave the show now. Be like Miss Isenhausen and just take off. I I guess my my counter to the the character stuff is that 
it's kind of what I've been saying the entire series, which is that I I view it as just like a whole bunch of like really wonderful vignette scenes between oh, characters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, I, I think, sorry, go ahead. Well, it's the, the number of characters allows that to happen. So it's yes. like the... The plot suffers because there are so many characters and you don't spend a lot of time checking in with characters about the plot per se, like they they move on to other things. So that makes the show is what we're talking about. It's a little bit more difficult to follow because some episodes you'll just have a very like 15 second scene that sort of reminds you about where Alma is or something like that for that moment. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have the characters beating each other over the head, but it does give you just like each scene with the different characters gives you this like really wonderful opportunity to just have a little vignette between them. Like I think that um, uh, the general and Hostetler when they're camping at night is really great. Yeah, I love their dialogue that they have with each other and it doesn't really feel like it's pushing anything along. It is because it's about, it's about their like, it ties into the advances no miraculous. They're out there trying to get the horse to redeem themselves so they can bring back the horse that killed William and mm-hmm. and and face up to their potential punishment. The reason that they ran away in the first place is that they were scared of the lynch mob that could potentially form. Um, but I, I, it's just like weird one-off scenes that they talk about things and like them going to Oregon and running away or if they're going to actually go back and just weighing this decision about what they think is the right thing to do in this situation. It doesn't add to the plot of anything. It doesn't add to the Yankton stuff, but it just creates this whole tapestry of like really wonderful performances and characters and things that they want to say to each other yeah yeah i'm really gonna i'm looking forward to starting to use um when i walk into a uh walk up to a business five minutes after it's closed and i can still see people inside through the window (laughs) just just yelling at them congratulations on being closed (laughs) jane was angry (laughs) <laughs> you've got that horse with its cock hanging down <laughs> and then, and the general's just like well there goes our uh, opportunity that maybe no one will remember that we brought that horse in here she she had a real great uh homer homer simpson when marge tells him not to eat the pie she just baked kind of s- yeah. s- sequence where he's like well <laughs> I'm just going to close my eyes and start making this biting motion. And if I happen to eat a pie, eat the pie, then, you know, that's the pie's <laughs> fault. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to look for a bottle that I used to have and I'm not going to say I'm going to drink it, but let's we'll see what happens see what when happens. I find it. Yeah. 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 I think the, the writing is just a, uh, you know, the, the doc, after, the doc has the scene here and the writing reminds me of the whole thing. The whole show writing reminds me of it where he's just like, I'm going to cut through the adipose tissue. It might kill this man. It might not. He might suffer. They might get the bullet. We might not. And he just goes, well, let's give it a fucking whirl. Yes. <laughs> the hoof hits just one inch to the right. Boy's pain is gone. You don't have to watch him suffer. I doubt he's omniscient. I know he's myopic. Why don't you concentrate on the fucking task at hand? Go on. Now hold this. Now, we may not be able to find the bullet in and amongst the adipose tissue. Or finding it, we may be able to remove it. Or removing it to avoid killing him. I guess we could give it a fucking whirl. 
again, of the things that you told me about the show, all I could, all I could see with all of that, or like all I could hear with all that stuff, is the doc Milch riding through the dock, just being like, "Can you believe how fat this man is? He's so fat that the bullet." I can't even see the bullet. He's, he's like a blob. This man is so fat that he has his, his ass has its own zip code. You know, it's just just writing burns about all the character, the actor appearances. Yeah, he is a big man. When you, when there's a man yeah, laying down dude. and you and you lay on top of him and he's like, he I reminds you of the dino, like Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park when he's laying on the six stegosaurus. <laughs> yes, Triceratops. I I did really like. Um, when they're dragging him through the street and what's his name in the top hat is like, let me take a try. Ah, I really shouldn't. <laughs> He's herniated himself pulling him. And th- that's another funny scene between them, the, those two that are usually comic relief yeah. at this point between Leon and Khan. But yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, I, I think it does. It is a, it is a plus in that it does make the town. We've, as we've said before, it does make the town feel more lived in where, you know, in in the in the real world, well, let's say, quote unquote, the real world, though as much as you could apply it to Deadwood in eighteen eighty five, whenever this is supposed to be, um, <clears throat> if Walcott did kill those women, there's nothing to say that he would leave or really yeah. do anything else, or there would be any consequences immediately. You know, he, he might just hang around for a while that's that great hostetler line he has a line about like i've been here in this town white people just killing and murdering and yeah. stealing from each other and then they get to walk around like nothing's happened but unfortunately for them uh with the 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 ideas of the age they have to flee the town it, it's just it's it's that kind of a comparison it's just like walcott has done horrible things but through a combination of being the right color skin and just having a tremendous amount of capital backing him there's nothing mm. that can be done about it yeah yeah, uh, but I'm also looking forward to Hearst's arrival because, as I've mentioned, Hearst is one of my favorite antagonists of all time, um, and he will be here soon. Uh, anything else? I hope th- he stares down Merrick and says, "One day my son's going to write a paper about you." <laughs> after he starts the American Spanish American War, <laughs> little scenes. And you're going to this- burst into flames, you fat bastard. <laughs> little scenes in this one. I really love the. Uh, Merrick, Blazanov, and uh, Saul drinking tea without saying a word to each other. I think that's a really touching mm-hmm. scene. I So the one thing that I was not tracking so much is that final shot when Saul walks away. I wasn't, Saul is on such he's, – he's really uh, on frayed nerves in this episode overall. Yes. Yeah. And I wasn't totally sure what, what they were trying to do with having him – uh, storm off like that at the end. I wasn't sure what the the vibe we were supposed to be getting from him was. To me, there. to me, it symbolizes he's a silent town crier. He's letting everyone know that William's dead by walking away at the end. And, oh, I got you. And, and the okay. rest of the characters see him walking away and realize what's happened to William. Yeah, that that was kind of my thought. Was that this is the 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 the, uh, the notion that that he's dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's my take on it. Anyway. Um, what the hell was the the other? Uh, what, what did you think? What did you think of the William stuff? I I thought this was um, Oliphant's best episode by far, acting wise. I thought, yeah, he was great. He's good. Yeah, he's good they, in those scenes they, with Martha. Stuff him into the back of a dimly lit scene. Yeah, and have him <laughs> punch him in the dick to make his tears yeah. well up in his eyes and just have him act. 
No, I thought they were both. I thought they were both really good. Anna Gunn's a great actress. I don't yeah. know why she's not in more stuff. I mean, she's probably in a ton of stuff that I'm just not watching. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like her a lot. Yeah, I, I like those scenes. Um, I think the dialogue there is written very heartfelt. Um, I I get teary with that stuff. Like that, that it feels very much like two parents talking to their child um, yeah. about the the things that he likes to do. Um, I like the line uh, that hits sort of close to home is like, you make the duck calls better than I do. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff like that. There's just little little moments like that. I think those two are terrific uh, in that stuff. I like, you know, just the, it's the last time the Bullocks are allowed to be together and it's through yeah. unfortunate circumstances that put everything together. I'm also really, uh, I don't know if impressed is the word. Um, I've been... I've been interested in the relationship between Martha and Seth because they haven't given them a lot of time to really do anything with it. But at the same time, this weird sort of like mid middle of the road sort of thing where they're married, but they they're also just sort of like two strangers who don't really you know, hang out at all. Yep. It, 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 like th- this episode I thought was w- w- dipped into that stuff really uh, in a really uh, good way where when he's carrying William through the street, he yells for her by yelling Mrs. Bullock. Yep. He doesn't yell her name. And then even the way that he interacts with her during the scene when he's dying, he's not like comforting her or hugging her or anything like they're, they're not commiserating like two parents whose son is dying. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it was good. It was good stuff. Cause it doesn't, I, I think it would be easy to use that scene as a way to, um, adjust their relationship in a, in a very cliche way that I don't think this show would support very well. By the end of it, she is calling Bullock father though. There is a, at least in terms of the, 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 uh, feelings that they have towards William, she has accepted him, uh, accepted, accepted sure. Seth as a, at least a, a true father to William. Um, yeah, and I, I think that scene works mostly because we haven't really had a lot to do with William, you know, this season. Yeah. He's just been a character who's been there, but they haven't, the show hasn't focused on him or anything like that. It hasn't been a, David couldn't wait to kill. Yeah, they get rid of that kid's mom. I told Amy that, um, and she was horrified. <laughs> <laughs> she was horrified that that was the behind-the-scenes reason that Milch just didn't like the actor's mother and wanted to get rid of her. Um, but yeah, that's that's what it was. Can't can't say it didn't work as a story. It's not like he just did it out of the blue and it didn't it didn't amount to anything. But David, David, I have questions about these lines. My son is my son is dying here, and you want me to to look him in his dying eyes and say. I'm your mother and I'm awful. I'm the worst. I wish I would just die. William's last words, he pops off and says, Mom, shove that script up your ass and just dies. <laughs> That's the, the final scene for William. Unfortunately not. Um, and that's, uh, any other any other things here? I'm trying to remember. I thought I had some other point that I wanted to make about this, but potentially not. I don't get this line about where you say, where I, where I say to my son, I wish this really was the Old West so I could <laughs> choke you to death and no one could do a goddamn thing about it. I don't understand. Read between the lines. It's symbolism, my dear. This is true artistry. Uh, 
any other sequences? I don't think so. I think we talked about everything. Cy. Oh, uh, we forgot about Andy Kramed the White. Oh, that's who I wanted to bring back. Yeah, Andy Kramed. Yeah. Yeah. What'd he's, you think? He's uh, he's he's gone down to the depths of the Balrog and come back with his new <laughs> white cloak and and new special Christ powers. Yes, he's he's replaced uh, the Reverend Smith, who is not around to serve this function anymore. Yeah, I actually really like that stuff. I like the I don't know res- why. like the bringing back of a different character. Yeah. Um, I just I, before you go, I have to say I fucking love Kramer's interaction with Eb Farnham in this yeah. episode. It's fantastic. My name is Kramed. <laughs> and Eb asks him, "How's the new racket going?" Or like, "Is it as is it as profitable right. as your last yeah. racket?" And he just like takes a deep breath and uh, turns the other cheek in the best way possible. But I, I, I Farnham is such a fucking slimy toad in this episode yeah, that I just love is. the interaction between him and Kramed. Yeah, I just really like the way that they 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 almost play Kramed as though he is almost as though he is the body of Andy Kramed inhabited by some sort of new spirit or yeah. something. Yeah. Like if if he had been killed off last season and then some sort of angel has taken over his body or yeah. alien or something. One of the and reviews just, called him walking through town. He moves like a ghost, which I thought was yeah, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I really like that because he was a character. He was on like two, three episodes. Yeah. Don't give a shit about him. Yeah. But for some reason, when he came back, I was like, okay, this is, he's got a whole new kind of vibe here. And the way that he presents himself is very different. I, I question how much of an expert on the Bible he is after only a year. Yeah. But, it's all he's got do? to read. It's the, the yeah. only book he's been reading. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I I, I really liked that sort of, um, almost uh, the the peace that a reverend can bring, but also very much kind of like an angel of death kind of yeah. vibe. Yeah, I thought that was very cool. Yeah, yeah, him he, and you don't hear the conversation. Um, he has with Bullock and it comes again to the, the the first point I made from the first review which is that for as wordy as the show gets no one in this episode says that that William is dead it's just not yeah. it's not mouthed at all or, or uttered by anybody um, yeah yeah I love the cream stuff I like the you know Farnham the, the Williams thing impacts some uh, people uh, drastically when I was watching this with Amy and it ended and she's like oh isn't it funny that like even William's death even made Farnham nicer. And I was like, I don't think Farnham's nicer at the end of it. And I, I went back and I rewatched it. And I think she's actually right. He, he, Farnham is still cruel to Richardson, but he does not force him to stop praying with his antlers at any point. Like yeah, he, that's true. He calls him a moron, but just says, we'll do what you want then and walks into the back room. And I was like, oh, I guess it's even Farnham has been impacted this to this point where he's not going to be exceptionally cruel in the way that he normally would be to Richardson, even though he's, you know, Farnham's characterization at this point is that when he's at his lowest, he takes it out on Richardson. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did really like the uh, when uh, when Crane is leaving the hotel, he says, uh, what does he say? If you're if if you're sensitive to idolatry, you might want to avert your yeah, eyes. Yes. Not, don't look to the left. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they show Richardson holding up the tiny antler to the big antler. <laughs> no. Yep. Yeah. Richardson. Um one of the um, one of the one of the reviews I was reading just made a really great point that I wouldn't have come up with, but that um, Richardson does this really neat trick of 
he's portrayed as simple to the point, like his simpleness is what prevents him from being super upset by how Farnham treats him. Mm -hmm. And one of the reviews was just making the point that he, he actually represents something kind of larger than that, which is that he sees a, he's spiritual to the sense that he almost like, he acts like Crames and that he turns the other cheek in essence to Farnham. Like he, he right. he represents something bigger and not the pettiness of Farnham and it doesn't bother him. Obviously it's a very symbolic thing. Like it is mostly because he's just so simple minded that he can't get too upset by it. But he has a kind of stoic stoicness to him that allows him to just seem like he's in a you watch him and you feel bad for him, but you realize that he's just a better person than Farnham will ever be. Right. And it's yeah. it's a nice touch for that character. Um anything else, or is that it? I think that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our coverage on this podcast, which is called Something Pretty. We covered Deadwood, and we just got finished talking about Advances Non Miraculous. I should probably put this stuff at the top, but I'm going to put it right now at the S <laughs> end of the episode where no one listens to it. Uh, Patreon.com slash The Penske File. If you guys are interested in supporting us, you head over there. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff. We might, as these seasons move on, we're almost at the final season of Deadwood, we might do some... Uh, Western coverage on the Patreon. I would like to do what listener Cal said to do uh, because the movie came many years after the show ended. I think we should also take a little bit of a break, Clay, before oh, sure. doing it to sort of put us at least somewhat in the mindset of what it was like to see the movie when it came out. But we'll cover sure. things like uh, Oliphant's Hitman and stuff like that, I think, because he did that in the meantime. So Patreon is the way to Are do we going to do uh, Live Free or Die Hard? Where he's the villain of uh, yeah, is he Die the Hard villain? In, did he Die do Hard that 4? in the interim? Was that uh, must have that been, would right? have been? I think yeah, that was definitely after. Live free, uh, die hard. Deadwood ended in it is that's an 07 movie. The Deadwood ended in 06. Can we can we can we cover all of the CCTV footage from all the bars where Ian McShane curses <laughs> out the bartenders? <laughs> also Ireland? a possibility, but people have to check Patreon to figure it out. Otherwise, you can join the Discord, all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, check out Rotten Horror Picture Show. <clears throat> Amanda and I are covering Video Nasties this year on Patreon. We are into uh, July was... Did we do July yet? I don't think we did July yet. No, we, we did. didn't. No. Nope. Uh, the last one we did was The Burning, yep. which is a uh, uh, one of the first post-Friday the 13th camp horror movies even though people claim that it was written before that one was but you know who knows what to believe with that mm -hmm. stuff um and the next one we're doing is bay of blood the mario bava italian movie which is sort of on the other end it came up before friday the 13th and has a lot of similarities uh check out badass podcast where sean and i talk about batman the animated series on patreon we just had an episode where we talk about the flash film so that's pretty fun. And uh, I have a comic book on the shelves right now called Batman White Knight Presents Generation Joker. Issue three, I think, should be out by the time this episode comes out. So uh, halfway there, we get six episodes. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, check it out. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening to this podcast. We much appreciate it. So let us know what you thought about Advances and Miraculous. And the next episode is The Horrors Can Come. Quite a pun there. That I, is, I think, I think we should do uh, Ian McShane cashing a paycheck movies 
in in between, in between. the end of <laughs> the end of Deadwood in the movie. So we can do. Uh, he was in the version of Hercules starring The Rock. He was in what Jack the hell the was Giant that? Slayer. There was the oh, Hercules yeah. with The Rock. Yeah, from 2014. Wow. Uh, he's in Jack the Giant Slayer. He's on American Horror Story. I bet he's pretty good in American Horror Story. He's in Snow White and the Huntsman. He's in. He plays. Oh, of course, Blackbeard in Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, he managed to do every movie. I did not see during a, a decade-long stretch, it sounds like. Yeah, and I, I guarantee he's playing essentially the same character in every one of those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what typecasting will get you. At least it was at the end of his career. Or not the end of his career, but later in his career. Anyway, that's it. The Horse Can Come is the next episode of Deadwood. We will cover it next week. See ya. I'm proud of the calls you've made. I've much enjoyed showing you how to make them. Now you make them better than I do. Thank you for caring for your mother. At times, when I'm away, it's comfort to know you are with her. I'm much pleased now that we all can be together. I'm so much pleased, William. As is your father. Holland ducks. In your garden. Helping your mother. And that we love you. Rest now, William. We'll rest and rise together.